Hi, everybody. Grab a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 9. You know, words can be a tricky thing. Uh, one word can mean different things to different people, or, or, or sometimes a word can mean different things depending on its context or depending on its usage. Uh, let me show you what I mean. Here are some sentences that, that really highlight this. We must polish the Polish furniture. The farm was used to produce produce. The dump was so full that it had to refuse more refuse. This was a good time to present the present. When shot at, the dove dove into the bushes. The bandage was wound around the wound. Words can be tricky things. Now, our text for today introduces us to a word. It's a very important word. Yet it's a word that people can define in vastly different ways. That word is faith. What does it mean to have faith? What is faith? Well, perhaps the best way to define faith is to see it in action. That may help firm up in our minds what faith is and what it means to live by faith. Well, our text does this for us. So let's go to Matthew chapter 9. We'll start in verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Now, as often happens, uh, the other gospel writers will include the same account. Well, the Gospel of Mark carries this same account, but it fills in some of the gaps and, and really adds a, a bit more detail and fleshes out the story some. A synagogue ruler comes to Jesus. Mark tells us that his name is Jairus and that his daughter is 12 years old. Mark also includes the detail that his daughter is not dead yet. She's on the brink of death. She's very ill and getting ready to die. Matthew just kind of cuts that out and goes right to the heart of the matter. So picture Jairus here. He's a loving father whose daughter is sick and at the brink of death. He's anxious. He's fearful. He wants nothing more than to rescue his beloved daughter. So he goes to the only one who can help. Jesus agrees, and they're on their way to his house. So it worked. The one guy who could possibly help has agreed to help. So Jairus now dares to hope again. 
Mark tells us that there's a very large crowd pressing in around Jesus. Jesus heals people. Jesus' teaching is life-changing. Everybody wants to be around him. Well, in the midst of this crowd is one of the greatest acts of faith that is ever recorded. It's in the midst of this crowd that we will discover what faith is and what faith looks like, what it means to have faith. All really from the most unlikely of examples. In this crowd is a woman, and she's very sick. She's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. Ironically, it's the same number of years that Jairus' daughter has been alive. This is a woman who's at the end of her rope. Mark, again, includes some details, letting us know that she's already seen every doctor. She's spent every dollar. She has tried every supposed cure. Nothing has worked for her. She's anxious and she's fearful. She's exhausted. She, too, is at the brink of death. But there's something about this Jesus that makes her think he can help. It's in her coming to Jesus that we find what faith is and what faith does. In fact, it begins with the fact that she even comes out of her house. So here we go. Number one, faith takes a risk. Faith takes a risk. Now, this may be the first time that she has ventured out of her home in 12 long years. Because this is a good Jewish woman who honors the Old Testament law. And let me read for you what the Old Testament law says about people like her. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Now, I'm quite sure that when you woke up this morning, you thought, you know what I'd really like to learn about at church today? Discharge. That's what I've been really curious about. But think of it this way. With now that Leviticus background in mind, this woman has been religiously, ceremonially unclean for 12 years. Everything she touches becomes unclean. Everyone she touches becomes unclean. She can't go to the local synagogue to worship. She can't spend time with family or friends. She has to avoid going out and getting food, running errands, doing all the social things that you do. This illness has completely isolated her. Women in her condition were quite literally kept quarantined so they didn't contaminate other people. 
I mean, we understand the disastrous personal effects of a quarantine. 12 years of this for her. So her presence in this crowd on this day would be enough to shock most of the people. And since Mark describes the crowd as pressing in around Jesus, she has come into physical contact with a lot of them. She shouldn't be out in public at all, but she is. She risks public ridicule. She risks shame from the crowd. She risks a possible shaming from Jesus himself. She doesn't know how Jesus is going to react. Jesus is a good, honorable Jewish rabbi. Maybe he's going to publicly condemn her for her actions, but she does it anyway and risks it all. You know, faith risks. It risks being mocked for holding to beliefs that are not respected in the world. Faith risks being misrepresented and misaligned because of holding to biblical values. Faith risks ridicule and shame from those who don't understand or who don't agree. Faith risks losing friends in the name of sharing the gospel with them. Faith risks forgiving when you've been wronged, meaning you might be betrayed again. Faith risks the humiliation of saying that you're wrong and asking for forgiveness. Faith always risks. So why risk all of this? Why would this woman risk such public humiliation and shame just to go outside? Well, she had to because that's where Jesus was. She has suffered for 12 years. She's tried all the cures, all the medicine, all the money has been spent. She's looked everywhere for healing. None has been found. She takes the risk. Faith always does. Number two, Faith recognizes Jesus as the only hope. She'd tried everything except for Jesus. She knew that Jesus was the only hope left for any healing in her life. Now, isn't it true of us that, that sometimes Jesus is the last person you go to or he's the last option that you explore? I mean, after you've exhausted all of your other efforts to figure out whatever problem or deal with whatever situation you have, now that you, after you've already done everything that you think is best, now you've come to the conclusion, well, maybe it's best just to give it over to Jesus. How foolish we are. Faith recognizes Jesus is the only hope. Not because we've exhausted all of the other options and he's all we have left but because he's always been the only hope. One author has written that, that people have in them a God-shaped hole in their life, one that can only be filled by him. Without him, you'll feel incomplete, inadequate, empty. Yet, the story of our lives is, is the attempt to fill that God-shaped hole with anything and everything else. Some people will fill that God-shaped hole with anything that will give them a temporary high. 
trying to numb that lagging low that they feel every day. Some try to fill that hole with relationships, hoping that their presence or their uh, attention on me is going to fix the loneliness, is going to fix the low self-esteem. Some people try to fill that hole with money and with pleasure, thinking that those things are going to be the answer to all the problems. Uh, Jeff Higginson, who was a good friend of mine who's now with the Lord, uh, worked for years with the homeless at Inner City Mission in Springfield. He said this one year to the campers at a week of church camp. He said, if true happiness and true healing could be found in alcohol, drugs, sex, money, or pleasure, then all the residents at the mission would be the happiest people in the world. But they're not. They're the most miserable the most devastated, the most broken. It is only through Jesus Christ that they come to find peace. You see, you can search the whole world over for something to make you whole. You can try every which way to fill that God-shaped hole in your soul. But nothing can fill it but God himself. Faith is the realization that Jesus is more important than anything else because only he has the power to save. Only he has the power to heal. Only he has the power to give life. He is the only hope. But this woman's story is far from over. And to me, this is where her story really gets interesting. Notice part of Mark's account of this. Mark chapter 5, verse 27 she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. How fascinating. So what is it about Jesus' clothes that healed this woman? I mean, are they made from some divine material? Why did clothes carry such power for him? Well, the healing of this woman has much more to do with her faith than it does with Jesus' fashion. So let me explain. In the Old Testament, in the prophet Malachi chapter 4, the Old Testament prophet Malachi looks forward to the great day of God's coming, to the day of the Messiah when, when he will arrive on the earth. And as he looked forward to that day, he writes words about this promised son of God who is to come. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, that verse may seem like it has nothing at all to do with what we're talking about. The Jewish scholars of Jesus' day believed that verse, Malachi 4, 2, was a prophecy of the promised Messiah to come and the healing power that he would have. So here's what's so interesting. According to Jewish tradition, that phrase from Malachi 4.2, rise with healing in its wings, came to carry with it the idea that the Messiah would be so powerful that even his clothes would have healing power. So as this bleeding woman comes to Jesus through the crowd that day, taking a risk, realizing he's the only hope, it's obvious that she believed Malachi 4.2 to mean exactly that. Because remember what's going on in her mind. 
If I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So when she reaches out her hand that day to grab onto his cloak, she is not making a meaningless gesture. Number three, faith publicly declares Jesus to be the Son of God. By reaching out that day, she's not just seeking after physical healing. She is proclaiming to this watching, pressing crowd, I believe this man is the promised Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Son of righteousness, and he has indeed come with healing in his wings. Now, Jesus then takes her public declaration a, a, a couple steps farther for her. Matthew reports that Jesus turned around, saw her, they spoke, and it was over. Mark lets us know that much more happened in that conversation. Mark chapter 5, verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. So though this woman, due to the circumstances that she's in, may have wanted to remain anonymous, Jesus would have nothing of it. So in the middle of this huge bustling crowd, Jesus is looking for one person. He wants to interact with her. Why? Why look for this one person? Why take the time? Remember what Jesus is currently doing. Jesus is on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl. So why stop and track this woman down? Because faith is very personal. Faith is not merely believing a few religious truths or practicing a few religious traditions. I mean, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Faith is a personal experience with Jesus Christ and his saving power. And yet... While faith is always supposed to be personal, faith is never supposed to be private. Mark 5, verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So he confronts her, not in a negative way, but, but he tracks her down personally and she confesses her faith. Faith is always personal, and faith is always public. This is one of the reasons why baptism is so important. Baptism, being immersed into Jesus Christ, baptism is a public identification in and participation in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And before we baptize people, in full view of the crowd in the church, we have them repeat what's called the Great Confession, which was originally confessed by the Apostle Peter in Matthew 16, 16, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We do this because that statement is the backbone of our faith. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. So faith takes a risk, doing whatever it takes to get to Jesus and to follow him. Faith recognizes Jesus is the only hope. Nothing else 
can fill that void. And faith publicly declares Jesus to be the Son of God. And now look at the result of her faith. Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Once this woman encounters Jesus, she will never be the same again. He says to her, daughter. Boy, I, I imagine that word exploded in her heart. God welcomes those who have faith and calls them sons and daughters. It's a family term. It's a relational term. Particularly meaningful for someone who's been isolated from people for 12 years. Mark records that Jesus tells her, go in peace. Shalom. It's a word that means wholeness or completion. So now she can live in peace. She didn't have peace before. Now she does. She has wholeness. So a body that was broken is now whole. Relationships that had been damaged by her illness could now be restored. Everything in her life that had been neglected because of the pain, because of the weakness, could all now be finished. The shame and the humiliation that she lived with day in and day out is taken away forever. She'll never be the same. Now, back now to the original story. Let's not forget, Jairus is still standing there. He's, he's watching all of this go down. Um, he, he too takes the risk to come to Jesus. He too has recognized Jesus is the only hope. But does he have the same faith that this woman has? He's anxious. He's fearful. His daughter is dying. And now they've been sidetracked by this woman. And though I'm sure he is amazed by Jesus' power, I'm also quite sure he's in a hurry to get home and to get Jesus to his daughter so that he could save her. And now Matthew tells us that Jesus just goes straight there and raises the daughter. Mark records there's another interaction before that happens. One that puts the issue right in our face. Mark chapter 5, verse 35 while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine being Jairus in this moment? He had done all that he could do. He'd had this moment of renewed hope where Jesus is going to go with him and, and it's finally going to work. We're going to rescue her. And now it's too late. The situation is hopeless. But look at what Jesus says to him in the midst of this terrible news. Mark 5, 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Essentially, Jesus says to him, Listen, man, you've seen what I can do. You just watched this whole thing go down with this dear woman. You, you've seen what I did for her. Don't you believe that I can do the same for you? Only believe. Jairus, how much faith do you have? 
It's a question that Jesus has been asking every man or woman through the centuries. It's the question he's been asking you your entire life. And in the end, it's the only question that matters. How much faith do you have? This is the only question that matters. Because faith not only takes risks, faith not only recognizes Jesus as the only hope, faith not only publicly declares Jesus to be the Son of God. This is the only question that matters. Because faith in Jesus Christ raises the dead. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for stories like this that help us to see faith in action, that help us to see how you respond to people who come to you in faith. God, we want to be people of faith. We want to have faith. We want to live by faith. And we know that's a gift from you. So God, help us. Help us to believe. Help us to have faith. Help us to live faithfully. Open up our eyes to how we can take risks. Faith always risks. Open up our eyes to the truth that you're our only hope. Open up our eyes to the opportunities where we can publicly declare that you are the Son of God and here's what we believe about you and here's how that has changed our lives. Because when someone comes to you, in faith, they're never the same. We're forever transformed by our encounter with the living, risen, and reigning Jesus. So thank you for the incredible results of faith. You adopt us as sons and daughters into your family. You welcome us in. You begin to do the, the lifetime work of repairing all that's been damaged by our sin. And ultimately, because of our faith in Jesus Christ and because of his resurrection from the dead, you raise us from the dead and give us life eternal. Thank you for the hope of that. And we ask for those of us who do have faith, that you would strengthen it, that you would increase it. And we ask for those who have not yet come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ, that you would open up their eyes, open up their hearts to receive the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done and grant them the gift of saving faith. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.